0: chapter nine of loafing along death valley trails by william carruthers this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nine romance strikes the parson scorning al Meyer's advice to locate a claim on the goldfield hill shorty harris headed south prospecting as he went until he reached monte Beatty's ranch where he camped with Beatty, a squawman. i'm going to look at a rhyolite formation in the hills four miles west looks good that hill shorty told him forget it beatty said i've combed every inch with faith in beatty's knowledge of the country he abandoned the trip and crossed the amargosa desert to daylight springs found the country full of amateur prospectors excited by the discoveries at tonopah and goldfield after a few weeks he decided there was nothing worthwhile to be found i had a hunch beatty could be wrong about that formation and decided to go back he was well outfitted and, with five burros and more than enough provisions, was ready to go when out of the bush came a clean-cut youngster, a novice who had brought his wife along. Shorty, he said, we're out of grub. Can you spare any? Sure, but you'd be better off to go with me. I have enough grub for all of us. Ed Cross had all to gain, nothing to lose, by following an experienced prospector. At a waterhole known as Buck Springs, they made camp, within an hour they went up a canyon each working a side of it shorty broke a piece of quartz from an outcropping saw shades of turquoise and jade come a runnin ed he shouted we've got the world by the tail in a downhill pull they staked out the discovery claims how many more should we locate cross asked none give the other fellows a chance if this is as good as we think we've got all the money we'll ever need if it isn't and the other fellow makes a good showing it will help us sell this one they went to goldfield shorty showed the samples to bob montgomery an old friend bob was skeptical but in an hour the news was out and goldfield en masse headed for the new strike those who couldn't get conveyances walked some pulled burrow carts across the desert some started out with wheelbarrows jack salisbury began to move lumber others brought merchandise barrels of liquor everything to build a town specimens of my ore shorty said were used by tiffany for ring settings lavaliers bracelets it went to paris and london Ore broken from the ledge sold for fifty dollars a pound i must have given away thousands of dollars worth of it for souvenirs overnight rhyolite was born shorty bought a barrel of liquor drove a roll of nails around the barrel hung ten dippers on the nails and invited the town to quench its thirst two railroads came one a hundred and fourteen miles from las vegas another two hundred miles from ludlow two things influenced me in naming it bullfrog shorty said ed had asked what'll we name it as i looked at the green ore in my hand a frog bellowed bullfrog i said one writer has stated erroneously that there is not a bullfrog on the desert the tycoons of mining and their agents appeared as if born on magic carpets and in a little while men who would have turned him from their doors were fawning around the little man with the golden smile and the ugly brawl for the bullfrog was on a struggle between cheap promoters who gave him cheap whiskey and moguls who gave him champagne scores of yarns have been written about the sale of the bullfrog it was one of the few things in shorty's life which he discussed with reserve in my residence two years before he died and in my presence he told my wife to whom he was singularly devoted the sordid story cross had a good head shorty said he attended to business sold his interest and retired to a good ranch i woke up one morning and judging from the empties i must have had a grand evening I reached for a full pint on the table, and under it was a piece of paper with a note. I read it, and learned for the first time that I'd sold the bullfrog. "'The law would have released you from that contract,' I said. "'I'd signed it,' he answered quietly. I thought of the crumbling adobe on the Ballarat flat, and the lean years that followed. "'At that I got good money for a fellow like me,' he added. "'I've never wanted for anything.' a fortune blown like a bubble meant absolutely nothing stopped no laugh dimmed no hope quenched no fire in his eager eye if i'd got those millions the big boys would have hauled me off to town put a white shirt on me maybe they would have made me believe shorty harris was important mr harris this and mr harris that i've got something they can't take away i step out of my cabin every morning and look it over a hundred miles of outdoors all mine the future of rhyolite seemed assured when bob montgomery sold to charles m schwab president of bethlehem steel company his interest in the claim known as the montgomery shoshone for more than two million dollars the discovery of this claim has been accredited to shoshone johnny and historians have said that montgomery bought it from johnny for a pair of overalls a buggy and a few dollars actually bob montgomery was among the first on the scene following shorty's discovery strike and located the claim himself even if johnny had located it montgomery would have been entitled to one half interest for the reason that he had been grubstaking johnny for years it never paid as a mine but america was gold mad and the two railroads which brought mail for rhyolite also carried stock certificates out and the promoters lost nothing The strike at Bullfrog was made in 1904. Rhyolite attained a population of about 14,000 at its peak, then started downward. On January 1, 1926, I made a campfire in its empty streets, and beside it tried to sleep through a biting wind that seemed aptly enough a dirge. The next morning I poked around in the abandoned stores to marvel at things of value left behind chinaware and silver in hurriedly abandoned houses and in the leading cafe. the cribs still bore the cast-off ribbons and silks of the girls and for all i know the satin slipper which i found on a bed may have been the one that shorty harris filled with champagne to toast the charms of flaming jane i walked up to the vacant depot Across the door, through which thousands had passed from incoming trains, with youth and hope and the eagerness of life, lay the long-dead carcass of a cow. It fitted, it seemed to me, the scene about. Like Tonopah, Skidoo on top of Tucky Mountain, overlooking Death Valley, may be accredited to the straying of a burrow in 1905. John Ramsey and John Thompson, two prospectors, camped overnight in Emigrant Canyon, which leads into Death Valley. The grass about was lush, and they thought it safe to turn the burrows loose. The burros strayed during the night, and because the walls on the east side of the canyon were perpendicular, Search was immediately confined to the sloping west area. But the burrows, always unpredictable, found a way to ascend Tucky Mountain, and there they were found, one of them actually straddling an outcropping of gold. This happened on the twenty third day of the month, and because of a popular current slang expression twenty three for you, Skidoo, meaning "fooey or shut up, the claim and the town were named Skidoo. Bob Montgomery bought the claim on site a winding road with a spectacular view of death valley was built a mill installed on the side of telephone canyon and water brought twenty-two miles from panamint canyon a long rambling building on top of the mountain served as offices and living quarters for officials a broad porch encircled it and afforded a sweeping and unforgettable view of death valley country on the area about this building was the company town adjoining was our town where the cribs and honkeys thrived i first visited it with shorty harris holding my breath most of the way on the steep narrow and winding road we appropriated the company building for our temporary home shorty had owned claims there and had helped build the road montgomery paid sixty thousand dollars for the claims and took out nine million dollars before production costs exceeded his profits when work was abandoned during world war i montgomery sold the pipe which had brought the water to skidoo to standard oil company at a price far in excess of its cost that was the end of skidoo more interesting to me than the fate of skidoo was that of blonde betty and the traveling preacher of which shorty was reminded when we strolled by the crib in which betty had lived skagway thompson as fine a chap as ever drew a cork died right over there in that shack and we decided he deserved a nice planting everybody liked skagway only women around at that time were crib girls and they banked his grave with wild flowers and i got this sky pilot to say a few words he was a young fellow good-looking and agreeable i told him skagway's friends thought it would be nice if one of the women in town would sing skagway's favorite song it's called when the wedding bells are ringing i said and i hope you don't mind if it's not in the hymn books i didn't tell him the girl who was going to sing it was blonde betty a chippy figuring he'd be on his way before he found out that gal could sing like a flock of larks and after the service the preacher barged up to me and said he wanted to meet betty and would i introduce him there was no way out and besides i figured what he didn't know wouldn't hurt him he told her what a wonderful voice she had how the song had touched him and hoped she would sing at one of his meetings Blonde Betty was pretty as curly ribbon, and I was afraid every minute he was going to ask if he could call on her. So I horned in and said, Parson, excuse me, but I promised I would bring Miss Betty home right away. So I took her arm and pulled her away. You big-mouthed bum, Betty says when we were out of hearing. Why don't you attend to your own business? I know how to act. Shorty pointed to a riot of wildflowers on the side of a hill across the gulch. The next day i saw her and the parson picking flowers right over there of course he didn't know then what she was after that i reckon he didn't give a damn he chucked the preaching job and ran off with betty but maybe god went along they got married and live over in nevada and you couldn't find a happier family or a finer brood of children anywhere it is no argument for sin but this was a hell of a country in those days and you just couldn't always live by the book on july 4 1905 shorty harris made a strike which started the town of harrisburg now only a name on a signboard a feud due to a partnership of curious origin started immediately and is worth mention only because it confused historians of a later period who gathering material after shorty's death have given only the story of the feudist who survived him here is shorty's version i was trying to save distance by taking the blackwater trail across death valley into the panamint i had been over the country and had seen a formation that looked good and was going back to look it over the blackwater trail is a wet trail and one of my burros sank in the ooze i had just gotten her out when a fellow i'd never seen before came up he said he was a stranger in the country and he wanted to get to Immigrant springs where his two partners were waiting he explained that the foreman at furnace creek had told him i had only left a short while before but he might overtake me by hurrying and i would show him the way then he asked if he could join me i told him it was a free country and nobody on the square was barred when i reached my destination i showed him the trail to emigrant springs i reckon i talked too much on the way over maybe made him think i had a gold mountain anyway he said he believed he would look around a little to see what he could find i didn't even know his name and though it was against the unwritten code he followed me there wasn't anything i could do about it without trouble and i was looking for gold not trouble in fifteen minutes i had found gold he was pecking around a short distance away and also found rock with colour and claimed a half interest it was then that i learned his name pete aguiraberry and that his partners were flynn and cavanaugh Wild bill corcoran had grubstaked me i told pete five partners were too many and he should agree upon a division point each taking a full claim and he could have his choice he refused and wanted half interest in both and nothing short of murder would have budged him i went to rhyolite for bill corcoran he went for his partners when we met corcoran had an offer to buy sight unseen from one of schwab's agents every one of us wanted to sell except pete who stood out for a fantastic price his partners offered to give him a part of their share if he would accept the offer pete refused he thought it was worth millions Wild Bill organized a company, and we started work. For a while, it seemed the Harrisburg claims would prove to be good producers. In the end, it was just another town on the map for Shorty. Futile years for Pete. Once I asked Shorty Harris how he obtained his grubstakes. Grubstakes, he answered, like gold, are where you find em Once I was broke in Pioche, Nevada, and couldn't find a grubstake anywhere people told me that a woman on a ranch a few miles out wanted a man for a few days work i hoofed it out under a broiling sun but when i got there the lady said she had no job i reckoned she saw my disappointment and when her cat came up and began to mew she told me the cat had an even dozen kittens and she would give me a dollar if i would take him down the road and kill em it's a deal i said she got him in a sack and i started back to town I intended to lug them a few miles away and turn them loose, because I haven't got the heart to kill anything. A dozen kittens makes quite a load, and I had to sit down pretty often to rest. A fellow in a two-horse wagon came along and offered me a ride. I picked up the sack and climbed in. "'Cats, eh? Huh? the fellow said. They ought to bring a good price. I was in Colorado once. Rats and mice were taking the town. I had a cat. She would have a litter every three months. I had no trouble selling them cats for $10 apiece. Beat a gold mine. There were plenty rats in Piyosh and that sack of kittens went like hotcakes. One fella didn't have any money and offered me a goat. I knew a fellow who wanted a goat. He lived on the same lot as I did. Name was Pete Swain. Pete was all lit up when I offered him the goat for $50. He peeled the money off his roll and took the goat into his shack a few days later pete came to his door and called me over and shoved a fifty dollar note into my hands i just wanted you to see what that goat's doing he said i looked inside the goat was pulling the cork out of a bottle of liquor with his teeth that goat's drunk as a boiled owl pete said if i ever needed any proof that there's something in this idea of the transmigration of souls that goat gives it He's Jimmy, my old sidekick, who I figured was dead and buried. Now, listen, I said, do you mean to tell me you actually believe that goat is your old pal, whom you drank with and played with and saw buried with your own eyes, right up there on the hill? Exactly, Pete shouted, and he peeled off another fifty and gave it to me. So you see, a grub stake, like gold, is where you find it. End of chapter 9